You're listening to Beyond the Ordinary, a show about the companies, founders, and ideas that are shaping the future of health, science, and financial technology. Here's your host, Tommy Martin. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Beyond the Ordinary. We are so glad you're here with us today. I have a very special guest, a new friend of mine that it has been such a pleasure to get to know. He is an entrepreneur who absolutely loves growing businesses and growing people and seeing them develop and also loves being of service to his community and meeting people along the way. Our guest today is Kevin Biggs. He is the president and owner of the Biggs Group, and they do all things real estate. They have a building company, a property management company, and what we're going to spend most of our time on today is a development company because Kevin has been at the center of one of the largest projects in the country for a market cap of his size in his city. He's been part of the lead on a $400 million project to really revitalize his downtown. And we're talking about one primary campus location. So this is a really big deal. For me personally, it's really not been since reading about Donald Trump's very first deal at the railroad tracks in his book, The Art of the Deal, that I got to see kind of the inside track of putting together a deal like this where you have to involve the government, you have to involve investors, You have to involve the community. You have to involve some massive companies like General Electric and then other massive companies to come in and be your tenants and put all that together. And as Kevin told me about this story, I I really felt like he was just threading the needle over and over and over and had lots of opportunities that could have been very challenging. And yet they made this happen. It's one of the coolest projects I've ever seen. So we'll talk about that in the back half of our episode, because there's a lot of communities out there that need projects like this to move them forward. And so you're going to hear from somebody who really was at the epicenter of a really big project like this. But first, we'll get into Kevin's story. So Kevin, thank you so much for being with us today. Tommy, thank you. This is a really exciting pleasure to be on the show and look forward to the time we have together. You know, Kevin, our listeners have told me over and over, they love hearing people's stories. And, you know, you didn't start out thinking, you know, someday I'm going to go help lead a $400 million project in my hometown. But (laughs) here you are at the center of one. And it's just been tremendous to get to watch and be an outside observer of what you're up to. But it didn't start there. So take us back and walk us through how you went from you know, really being a hometown kid to ending up running one of the largest projects we've ever had. Yeah, thanks, Tommy. I will tell you, it's been an incredibly humbling journey that I've taken here. But yeah, you know, family business is where I started, where I'm still at, actually. My grandfather started our company back in 1959, a little home building company in Northeast Indiana called Ideal Suburban Homes. And We focus on home building around about an 11 or 12 county region here in Northeast Indiana. My father came along, oh, into the company about a half a dozen years later and really started to grow the company and realized if you're going to build homes, you got to control the land. So he got into subdivision development work, which we still do today. And then into the, the 70s, early 80s, diversified into multifamily, built some apartments, And when 1986 came along, the Reagan tax reform happened at that time, and there was a new section of code introduced 
called Section 42, which was the introduction of affordable housing through the IRS. And uh, my father was one of the first adopters, along with a handful of others around the country that got involved in doing multifamily housing development with this new section of code. And over the years, we've kind of continued to refine that and develop those skills. And it's a big part of our business today to provide good quality, affordable housing to folks around the region and around the state. And we continue to build homes across Northeast Indiana, on average around 90 to 100 a year. And so that's been really exciting, seeing our team grow. And then our development work has continued to kind of escalate. But I got to tell you, looking back, you know, five or six years ago, I really didn't have any direct vision of what was about to be an opportunity here in our backyard in Fort Wayne, Indiana, with the uh, potential redevelopment of a 1.2 million square foot campus, uh, old industrial manufacturing facility sitting on close to 40 acres of property by downtown. So that's what's been um, a little unexpected. But but Tommy, the greatest things in life are not the things that you can predict. <laughs> that is certainly true. Kevin, just for our listeners' benefit, you talked about the tax reform in 1986. What was happening in that that changed the course of direction for your family's business? Well, it was just my father, you know, kind of took the risk of adopting and figuring out this new tool that the tax code put into an existence. And we had done some other affordable housing with other government or quasi-government tools up to that point. But being the kind of the early adopters, and believe me, anything new in the tax code, it takes years to kind of hammer it out into some efficiency. But it's become a an incredibly robust, bilaterally supported part of the tax code that's been a huge benefit for our country over the years, which is known as Section 42 or the housing credit. And getting involved in that and kind of understanding how to use that was really important because now that there's an industry that's formed, the barrier to entry is pretty high. If you don't kind of already understand and know how to do development in this work, it's pretty tough for an outsider just to come in and figure it out on their own. So we've been fortunate enough to kind of develop this expertise from what I'll say the beginning. And it's allowed us to have a play in a niche in the real estate world that not a lot of other people operate in. And high level, what is it that Section 42 allows people to accomplish? And, you know, not the nitty gritty, but just from a real high level standpoint. Yeah. So it allows a developer to make an application to their state agency, in this case, the Indiana Housing and Community Development Authority, that administer the credit from the federal government. And they seek application for projects. Typically, it's once a year. And as a qualified developer, we can make an application that's very competitive to receive an allocation. But once that allocation is received, we can take that to a specialized market and pair with a syndicator that will match up a buyer to buy those tax credits, which will then fund the development of that affordable housing project. So we've been, again, working in this, in this field for you know, 25 plus years. And it's been a really nice, key, important part of our business to allow us to grow and serve the people that, you know, really kind of need housing the most. 
you know, it sounds like they've created some incentive structure for you to go actually focus and build homes for people that otherwise may not have access to them. You're absolutely right. There is a huge rent overburden in this country, which equals a massive demand for affordable housing. And it's served by a couple different agencies. HUD is one of those agencies. That's a whole nother part of the federal government that has a program for affordable housing. But Section 42 is a function strictly through the IRS, which provides housing through a tax credit. What's really interesting and unique about Section 42 is it's actually not the public's tax dollars that are being used. It is a credit that is given to private investors. So it's really driven by private enterprise and not bureaucrats within the government. And that's why I think it's been so incredibly successful over this long period of time and is a multi-billion dollar industry now. Well, you're speaking my love language there, you know, allowing private industry to drive these things and solve some of these big problems instead of uh, relying on the government to do all of it. So that's absolutely fantastic to hear. So it sounds like, you know, you came in third generation in the company and we hear often that there's not a lot of middle ground with that second or third generation, that either they kind of go on and really make their own mark in the business, or they just kind of squander it. And I know you have not squandered it. So what would you say has been really your mark that you've come in and brought to the business? Yeah, Tommy, first I'll just tell you, I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity that I had to be able to work in the family business. and But similarly, it was the last thing on my mind after graduating Purdue University in 1994. I thought, I am never coming back to the Midwest. And off I went to the West Coast and spent about a year in Seattle. But then, you know, as any young adult probably wakes up to their senses and says, you know, there's an incredible opportunity that I have back home here but it took a long vision. We're a much different company than where we were 20 plus years ago whenever I made the decision to really come into the business, you know, full force. I should say come back to the business because I worked in it all through from a very young age and uh, through high school and college. But what really triggered me to want to do that and come back in the business was really not the opportunity necessarily of just the business itself, but the opportunity to learn from my father that really I could see pulled himself up by his bootstraps, you know, growing up in Southern Indiana on a poor farming homestead and made a real mark for him. And it was that opportunity to continue to learn from someone that I could see had a lot to give and learn from. So that was the driving factor that brought me full force into the family business. And it's been such an exciting ride. He was able to give me the latitude to kind of do my own thing and certainly within the confines of the business. And it was a real turning point for us back in the 2008-2009, as a lot of people <laughs> found themselves you know, looking for the right direction as the country was dropping into recession as most of us know, it was us home builders that led everybody into the Great Recession following the banking bubble. And what also happened in the midst is I lost my father. And he passed away within 
about a week of when the Dow lost half of its value in March of 2009. So it was a real uncertain time, but it was also a time that allowed me to kind of reflect on really what's important in my life and family. And it was really the family of employees that, you know, made up our organization at that time. And so, you know, we really recommitted. There were some uncertain days there. I got to be real honest with you, you know, midst of the recession, losing our founder, the business was falling on some really difficult hardships. <laughs> I had a lot of lenders knocking on my door, but we found a way to kind of muscle through that. The team rallied and came together. And it was through that hardship that I think we really emerged to be successful and continue to stay very true to our roots, which was working within these small towns across Northeast Indiana. And today we still are so committed to these smaller communities that have been so gracious to us and to me and continue to welcome us with open arms to help solve a lot of their housing problems. So it's been a really exciting time now as you know the economy has been doing great. All of a sudden, we're starting to see now, though, some erosion. But a lot of the opportunity that these towns have reached out to us have helped stabilize us, even as we might be leading into some uncertain times. So that's been some seeds sown early on over the years in these communities that we're really starting to reap some great rewards. That's incredible. And thank you for sharing about your father. I want to push into that just a little bit, Kevin. I have two sons and, you know, who knows if they'll want to join me in business at some point. But I always love asking the question, what was the best part about working with your dad and what was the hardest part? Oh, boy. Yeah, great question. Some of the best parts of working with my father, I'm really blessed. We've always had a really good relationship as I grew up. And as he brought me kind of into the business, you know, some of the best memories I have is my father didn't pick up the game of golf until in his adult life. But when he did, I kind of got to do it at the same time when I was in my you know early teens or probably even a little younger than that. You know, being able to have him pop into the office next door and say, you know, hey, clear your Friday afternoon. We're going out. We're going to go play some golf together. It was really special. Some of the best memories I have are with my father, you know, being able to go out and play a round of golf with him. It was just also being able to have that relationship with him on a, an entirely different level than growing up. And now to be able to enter his world into business and learn from him, that was just really special. And the amount of time and energy that he spent working on the business, but also being willing to give to me to help me you know, understand and be successful was was really humbling. I'm so grateful for that. Boy, I'll tell you, there were some rocky roads, you know, economy-wise over the, you know, 13 plus years that I was able to work next to him. Probably some of the toughest times I lost my mom and dad lost his wife in 97. Not long after I joined the business, that was a really tough time, you know, losing mom through that period of time. And kind of helping him through that. I mean, we helped each other through that period of time. But that was probably one of the toughest times I've seen, you know, as a son to a father. I've seen him kind of weather through that. And that was a difficult time for him. And I think a lot of times with, you know, the death of a spouse, your child's not necessarily there day in and day out, especially if they're already adults. 
but you mm-hmm. were working next to him. You know, you're right down the hall, as you mentioned. So you really did get to see that entire grieving process and he saw it in you. And man, I just, I can't imagine. I can't imagine Kevin. And then to, you know, be going through such a challenging economy, you know, 2007, 2008, and everything that was happening for home builders at that time. And to lose him in the midst of that just had to be terribly difficult. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, you bet. You know, I look back and I can remember like those moments, you know, in that following year of asking that question, man, like, why did this happen? And why did this happen now? And, you know, it's interesting how if you're open to receiving and you allow yourself to look beyond that, the answer came, you know, in later years when we finally kind of worked through that. And the answer was, man, if I can kind of muscle through this and get my team to rally at this lowest point, what can't we do in the future? You know, and so that was really kind of the answer. As many times I asked why at the time and didn't the answer, I got it later. And it was, it was, you know, this was kind of your time to figure it out. Now that you've got it figured out, you really have incredible confidence moving forward that prepared me for a lot of other things in my life. So really grateful for that. So it's really being forged in fire, not just you, but your whole team. And what a great segue, Kevin, because I know being at the center of this $400 million project in your local community, I mean, and, you know, listeners in Fort Wayne, Indiana, you know, second largest city in the state of Indiana, you hear me say this sometimes, but, you know, we're famous for race cars and corn, maybe. And we used (laughs) to be famous for basketball and we hope that'll change someday. Now, just for clarity, that was never the case at Purdue where Kevin came from, but We were famous for basketball at one point at some other locations. So mostly barns around the state. That's really where, you know, we were most famous for basketball. But, you know, being prepared, being forged through that fire, you guys took on this really what's become now for phase one and two, a $400 million project. And I think if I do the math, that comes out somewhere equivalent of doing like a $3 billion project in Chicago. So I don't know exactly, but I think we're in the right neighborhood there. So this is like a massive, massive project, certainly the most important project we have going on locally, maybe even in the state at the moment. And I'm so glad that you were forged in fire because it hasn't always been easy. So walk us through and help us understand how this project kind of came about. And then maybe walk us through those peaks and valleys of actually bringing a project like that to the community. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to, Tommy. It was really interesting. 2015 was the year that the final General Electric employees walked off this campus, the Broadway General Electric campus here in Fort Wayne, and left behind 1.2 million square feet of old industrial and manufacturing buildings built even dating back to before the turn of the century. 1893, I believe, are the oldest buildings. And about almost 40 acres of property next to our downtown left abandoned. And the community started asking the question, you know, what's next? And it's been this incredible weight on the psyche of our community because it's not like everybody just left at once. This was a slow deterioration over decades of manufacturing, moving to Mexico and other areas and away from Fort Wayne. And so it's this kind of long, slow decline that finally 
kind of was formalized in 2015. And we were fortunate enough because of some local leadership working with General Electric to get them to remove the property off of their demolition and what they call their decay list, because a lot of these properties around the country that GE owns, they just kind of let them sit to decay because they have environmental contamination and they're difficult to redevelop. But luckily with local leadership, they moved it onto a disposition list and working with a broker out of Indianapolis ran a request for proposal process and put this project out on the national stage to attract a national developer to come in and and redevelop this property. And I was lucky enough to be the guy in the backyard here watching this happen and participated in the response along with another national developer that came into Fort Wayne. Josh Parker out of Durham, North Carolina, has kind of built a career on doing large-scale projects like this and found myself fortunate enough to form a relationship with him and eventually a partnership along with Jeff Kingsbury and now Larry Wigan and Tim Ash. The five of us are the general partner entity that are redeveloping the campus. And it's just been an incredible, incredible ride. But to your point, you know, this doesn't happen overnight. It was a five-year journey from the time that we conceived this idea to when we finally got all the financing components to line up and close on the financing. And we're now a year and a half into construction and less than about five months from opening the door. So it's an exciting time now. But to your point, there are a lot of peaks and valleys along the way to get to where we are. Kevin, one of the things you told me about was actually the way that you got together with Josh Parker. So this, you know, developer that's done these projects in other areas was very interested in doing this local project. You two had never met before. And tell us how that came about. Yeah, kind of back to my earlier comment about I really enjoy the people along the way. It was very interesting. I had started to dream a little bit about just one small component of this million square foot campus. And I had a local architect that did a few renderings for me that I was using to kind of gain a little support, both at city administration level and locally. And when we picked up the newspaper in May of 2016 and read that General Electric was now planning to sell the campus, it was bittersweet because I thought, wow, this is fantastic for the community that there may be a real opportunity now to redevelop this campus. But but wow, I'm definitely out because they want to sell the entire campus. And there is no way that I could take on individually <laughs> this entire project. So the architect that did a little work for me called me up about a week after that hit the newspapers. And he said, he said, hey, Kevin, I've got a little favor to ask you. And I'm a little conflicted. I said, what's that, Ron? He said, well, you know, I've done some work for you related to this campus, but this out-of-town national developer just came in town and came to my office along with about six other architects in town and wants to retain us to organize a response to try to take on this project. And I obviously can't work for you and him. I said, listen, you, you have got to work with this developer. You know, 
Ron, don't worry about me. You know, if they can do this whole project, you know, you have my blessing. Don't worry about a conflict of interest. Go do your thing. So you were really open handed with your architect. And I think there's a lesson in that for our listeners. You know, you could have been like, no, don't you dare work with them. But you were very open handed with this architect and said, no, no, you have my blessing. Go, go do what you need to do. If they can do this project, you should be part of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and he said, well, you know, this guy seems kind of collaborative. You know what? I think he's going to be in town next week. You want to see if I can get a meeting with him so you can meet him? And I said, yeah, sure. That would be great. And lo and behold, that next Monday afternoon, I was sitting in my architect's office and meeting this national developer. And again, Josh Parker from Durham, that was my first interaction with Josh. And it was a great first interaction. He said, listen, I'm going to be back in town in about a week. There's a tour the broker is doing of the property. You know, let's connect again when I'm back in town. And so the next time I met him, we're walking through these industrial buildings together and having a conversation, getting to know each other a little bit more. And at the end of the tour, he said, you know what, after lunch, we're going to do a little charrette exercise over at your architect friend's office. How would you like to come and join us? And I said, well, sure. Yeah, that would be great. I'd love to get to know a few more of the people. And as I walked in that meeting, that was kind of the first time. And Josh said, well, hey, I'm sure all you guys know Kevin because he's local here. And we'd like to have him be a part of the team. And to be real honest with you, I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> Felt great to be able to participate and to do it, you know, right here in my backyard and more deeply develop these relationships with other architect firms that some I knew, some I didn't. And over the course of about two to three months, we put together a response and together we went to Indianapolis and presented this and won the award to buy this property from GE to get it back into the community's hands. So it was incredibly exciting. That was one of the high points. <laughs> Absolutely. And I love this part of the story, Kevin, because you know, you were open-handed about your architect's relationship. And that turned right around into an introduction from that architect to this developer. And had that not happened, you wouldn't have ended up being a big part of this project. So pretty incredible. And I've always taken that mindset in business. One of my mentors said it really well. Don't worry about protecting your percentage of the pie. Just make the pie bigger for everybody. And that, you know, served me very well. And, you know, you took that attitude of, I might not even get any of this pie, or you didn't even think you would. And then it turns around and you're kind of in the middle of it. So it, you know, worked out just incredibly. But the other thing I want our listeners to hear, because sometimes we have younger founders on here or would-be entrepreneurs, and I try to always communicate that one of the things that sets successful entrepreneurs apart is that you go and you do it. And a lot of people just sit on the sidelines and think, oh, this project's too big or it's, you know, you hadn't done a project of this size in the past. You weren't dreaming about the whole campus, but your dream, even on the partial campus, was a bigger project than you dreamed in the past. And you just went and did it. And, you know, you put yourself in that position that you could even be in the mix where people would want to introduce you to this larger developer. 
And so listeners, if that's you, if you know, if you're still in that corporate job and you keep thinking, gosh, I should just get out there and start that business. I've been dreaming about this for a decade. You're going to hear it over and over and over from guys like Kevin, guys like me. We didn't feel 100% prepared to go do what we did ever. Never have I felt that way. We've always gotten ourselves in over our heads and then surrounded ourselves with incredible teams to help us figure out how to make it so we're not in over our heads. And you're going to see that over and over from successful entrepreneurs. So enough of my sidebar. No, it's spot on, Tommy. I can't agree more with you. You're absolutely spot on that don't think you got to have it all figured out to take the chance and take the leap. It just, you have to be prepared to fail and learn and then go at it again. You know, it's funny because people now, you know, see me on the street and, oh, Kevin, congratulations. And the project's great. And, you know, it's just such a great success. And I say, you have no idea how many times this failed before <laughs> we actually got it to succeed. I mean, you have to be willing to fail and to learn and to readjust and move forward again and again and again. And that's what it took ultimately to get this to happen. And the other point I just want to also emphasize too is, you know, lead from the heart. It was about, you know, my attitude, I mentioned this early on, it's about community service. And I just, I wanted to see this project happen for the community. If I would have been leading with, well, how much money am I going to be able to try to make off of this development? I would never would have been in the right position at the right time and with the right open heart to move this thing forward. And I always tell people, do what's right and the money will follow. Like, don't let the money be the motivating driving factor for your decisions solely in your business. Do what's right for the community, for the customer, for who you're serving And then the rest tends to just fall into place. It's the after effect (laughs) that happens of along comes then the wealth and the success that follows. But, and that's been a great lesson that I've learned over the years and it's served me really, really well. That's incredible. And I know you have to choose your words carefully, but there were some challenges because you had to bring together so many different parties And one of those parties was having to bring along the local government. Yeah, Tommy, you know, these projects are defined as a public-private partnership or a triple P. And and there's no way that any one entity could do it on their own. It's really, they have to be done as a collaborative effort. It takes the private sector and it takes the public sector working together hand-in-hand to do something this large, ambitious, and bold. And there were a lot of challenges to get everyone to really be able to take on something that is this big of a vision. It was hard for people to initially see it, to buy in, but it just takes a lot of repetition and lots of private meetings to sit down and bring people along. Yeah, it was difficult and always those visions didn't align. (laughs) We had to you know, work in the space that we could work in. But one of the things that overwhelmingly was in our favor is that we were able to captivate the public's imagination with this project. And the public support that rallied behind us was astonishing. It was absolutely astonishing. At one point, we had, not from our fruition, but 
the local neighborhoods surrounding the project decided one day that they were going to make yard signs in support that I support electric works. And, you know, I came driving downtown one day and I'm like, where do all these yard signs come from? And, you know, everybody started picking up the phone and calling me and be like, oh, is this your next kind of, you know, scheme to try to, you know, garner support? I said, this wasn't us. This was, we had nothing to do with this. And it caught on like wildfire. The demand was overwhelming. And the neighborhood association finally called us and said, we've got all this need for the signs. We're like running out of money to like, we'll help fund some like, but this is your deal and you take care of it. And these signs spread from not only the surrounding neighborhood, but around the entire city. I'd even drive to communities 30 miles away, you know, as I'm doing my other work in housing. And I'd see these signs stuck in towns that are 30 miles away. It was, uh, it was amazing. So that's just an example of the support that we got. It's incredible. And listeners, you know, part of doing a deal like this is you have to make friends, not enemies. And so, you know, I'm not even going to ask Kevin to respond to what I'll say next, but just me as an outside observer, what I kept experiencing in this project was they would make incredible progress. They'd get a massive grant from the state. They'd make incredible progress finding a new tenant to be the lead tenant in the building. They had everything going for them. And then the project would almost get killed. And my outside perspective, right or wrong, was it was the local government just kind of getting in the way because they just couldn't catch up with that vision yet. And again, I'm not asking Kevin about that because he needs to keep friends. But that was my perception, just as kind of a community outsider watching what was happening. But that community support and business leaders really rallying around the project helped I believe even the local government eventually kind of capture the vision of, okay, this can be a great thing and ultimately get behind it and allow this thing to actually materialize and come to market the way that it is now. So again, Kevin, I won't even ask you to respond because you've done just a great job bringing all these parties together. But for those would-be developers out there, I just want them to understand that it's you really have to build this entire coalition. You heard this from Kevin. You've got the capital. You've got the community. You've got the government leaders, both at the state level, at the local level. And you've got your future tenants. And you've got whoever's selling the property and managing and bringing all of those parties together really takes a big coalition, a big effort when you're trying to do a project of this size. So just incredible work. I'll tell you what can go on the record is the comment that, you know, this is such a fun part of the project right now. You know, the majority of the stress of getting through the financing is behind us and watching this project really come together. We're within months of starting to move people in. And Tommy, this is kind of a philosophy I just use in my life is that Life is too short to have any, you know, regrets or to hold any, you know, just move forward. And I'm thrilled that we eventually all could get on the same page. And so let's all move it forward together. And that is really, I think, the attitude we've taken. We want to continue to accomplish great things in this community, and we can do that together. And so I'm really, really pleased that despite, you know, a lot of the the, the angst that came along the way, you know, at least I know I can look beyond that and we can look ahead to the future and, and know that we continue to do great things. 
What a great attitude. And Kevin, this actually leads us into my favorite part of the show where I actually get to ask you two questions. So the first question is the question that everybody wants to know. And what it really is, is the question I want to know. And then the second question is the question everybody actually wants to know. So my personal question for you today, Kevin, is now that you've been involved in this type of project, which I mean, it's kind of like painting the Sistine Chapel in your hometown. I mean, where do you go from here? That's some tough shoes to follow now. (laughs) Well, what's interesting is that this chapel has about six other rooms that need to be painted. (laughs) And uh, again, we've been talking about phase one and two of electric works. There's a whole nother 500,000 feet across the street in Broadway. That'll be a future phase, along with enough real estate for another 1.6 million square feet in future phases beyond that. So, There is so much more opportunity for our community with this particular project. But I'll tell you what, like kind of what's beyond that. Again, what's really interesting, Tommy, is that some of the most exciting things in your life are the things that take you by surprise that you can't even imagine. And what's next? I don't know. And that's what's so incredibly exciting (laughs) is that I don't know what the next thing is going to be, but it's going to be incredible because it's going to come out of nowhere, just like this came out of nowhere five or six years ago. I love it. And truly just like me getting the opportunity to meet you, Kevin, I mean, totally unexpected. And through that YPO connection, it's just been absolutely incredible for me to meet great leadership like you and our other local leaders. So it's been wonderful. And, you know, we're moving into the last question, which is the real question I think some of our listeners will want to know. And I'm going to speak to both. I think, you know, our local audience, we do have quite a few people in Northern Indiana that listen in, but we also have a global audience, people all over the world. And I think what I'd like to ask you is for those people locally, what would you ask of them at this stage of the project? And then globally, if you have people listening in and they're thinking, you know, I've been dreaming a little bit about this part of my community and maybe they want to come take a look at Electric Works or learn from what you're doing. I'd love to hear what your advice for them would be as well. So maybe speak to both of those audiences. Yeah, I'd love to. So kind of for the the local audience Boy, I can't wait to share this vision with you when we open it up later this year in the fourth quarter, because it will finally allow what we've been talking about for five plus years to really come into focus. You know, I think we talked about this before, Tommy, that this community is about to just take off. And we've seen such great, incredible strides over the past five, six, seven, eight years here in Fort Wayne, Indiana, that followed many, many decades of disinvestment and businesses leaving. And so this project allows us to create a center of gravity for innovation to happen again. With 40,000 feet of innovation space, it's really going to bring all these entrepreneurs together in a way that has never been available before in recent years. And I think we discussed this before that It's really interesting to know that over 100 years ago, Fort Wayne was one of the greatest innovation spaces in the world around this little technology called electricity. (laughs) And the innovation that happened here obviously culminated into one of the largest sites for General Electric to invest in in the country. 
And we have innovation in our DNA. And to bring that back and create this innovation district again for this new age is incredibly exciting. So for the locals to be able to come out and feel and touch and taste and see what's going on and support this incredible community that we're developing. And the same thing for that larger audience. I tell people never be afraid to dream too big. And we have from the get-go, the rest of the development team and I have said, we really want to create a global destination here. We want to do something special here that is going to be a draw from people from all over the globe. And we have such a unique opportunity in the breadbasket of America and the Midwest around the food sciences, around the medical device focus we have here, advanced manufacturing. There is just an incredible synergy that's going on. And we're located within striking distance of so many major universities that we have such an incredible knowledge base to draw from here too. So I really encourage people to come check out this little gem. We were lucky enough to get some incredible publicity early on from papers like the Wall Street Journal, the Huffington Post, and they all said, we're going to do follow-up stories whenever this thing opens up. So we're going to be picking up the phone later this year, the fourth quarter, and calling them back to, again, recognize and put this on the national scene. So exciting time. I can't wait. And Kevin, I like how you said it. I mean, we very much have an unfair advantage here, not to tout Fort Wayne too much, but I mean, the cost of living is just incredible. And then the talent level in everything from med tech to, as you said, food sciences, advanced manufacturing, financial services, and fintech. We just have some incredible ecosystems that have built up and very, very strong support from the state to help make it possible for businesses to come to this area. So uh, if you're listening in and open to relocating your company, we certainly want to hear from you. But if you're also looking to make your community better and want to learn from this project, then Kevin would love to talk with you as well. So Kevin, this has been absolutely incredible. I appreciate you spending the time to do it. And again, for me to be able to have this inside look on one of the biggest projects happening in this size of a community anywhere in the world, it's just been fascinating and such a great case study of seeing what happens when you bring together the community from the public and the private sector to make something special happen. So thank you so much to you, all of our government leaders and all of your partners to the incredible work you're doing. And thanks so much for being with us here today on Beyond the Ordinary. Listeners, thank you to you as well. We can't do this without you. You've just continued to make this show better and better than I ever imagined. So thank you for all your support. All right, thanks, Tommy. That was awesome. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Ordinary. This podcast is brought to you by Mammoth and produced by Reverb. If you like this show, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Mammoth and Beyond the Ordinary, visit us at mammoth.vc. Mammoth.